Well, welcome to Kennesaw Family Life Church Online, and, and we're in this series called One Family. I believe that all believers together are a part of one family, the body of Christ. That's what Ephesians teaches us, that we are stamped and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God when we come and surrender our lives to Him. When we put our trust in Jesus, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why that, that term, if you've been around church for a long time, and, and it's kind of outdated now, but used to be, hey, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and it, it that's kind of how they addressed each other to take down and, and to remind everybody that we're a part of that same family. And then as we get into individual churches, we make up kind of like a smaller family within a larger family. And we care for each other. We love on each other. We meet each other's needs. That's what families do. This series is based on the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians that Paul wrote to the churches of Ephesus to kind of deal with some issues that had come into the church. Specifically, they were Gentile believers, which means that they were not Jews. That's really simply all it means is they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They did not serve God prior to Paul on his missionary journeys telling them about Jesus and introducing them to Jesus. They became believers. They became filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Jewish believers... Not Jews specifically, but Jewish believers, those that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, were coming in and a little bit jealous about what God had done among the Gentiles. And they, and they wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised. They wanted them to come and become Jews, which is not what God had asked for them. God saved them right where they were at. Jesus did not require them to go through those things, but these Jewish believers were trying to do that. And they were building a wall of back up. If you remember, we've talked about this. They were building this wall back up between the Gentiles and God. They were creating more requirements for them to know Jesus to be saved than what God had asked of them. And so it was causing problems. It was causing issues. There was confusion. All of those things were happening. And we talked about how Jesus came and tore those walls down, that both Jew and Gentile could have access to God. Both Jew and Gentile are accepted by God when they put their faith in Jesus. And that's all that was needed. So they were rebuilding this wall. Then Paul came along and he prayed for them to have unity, for them to be one, to work with each other, to love one another, to care for one another. And then it brings us to where we're at right now. And he's urging Christians to live as children of the light. And if you've been with us for a little while, uh, we spent the beginning of this year doing a series called Reflecting the Light. And it says that Jesus in John 1, that Jesus is the light of the world. And that's why Paul says here, being children of the light, Jesus is the light of the world. We're called to be a reflection of him. We're called to be children of his. And so Paul is urging them, the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers, to live as children of the light. And he kind of does this compare and contrast thing. And we're going to look at that a little bit and really spend the next couple weeks talking about it. But if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 17 through 24. This conversation was too big to do in one weekend, so we're going to do it next weekend as well. But Ephesians 4 17 through 24. Let's read that together. Verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, 
Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Do you catch that? Verse 17 starts out with some incredibly strong language. Paul literally says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. He's saying, listen up, I'm telling you something that's really important. It's not just my opinion. This comes from Jesus himself. That authority that was given to Paul, that, hey, listen, I, look, I don't know how you grew up, but I, I've seen this kind of transcend a lot of different people. There's something about a parent, specifically a mother, using your middle name. And if they use your middle name, you stop and go, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I'm really in trouble here. If I heard Larry Allen, whoa, hold on. What did I do? Or man, I got caught or whatever that is. Paul is, is kind of using that same kind of thing, like with the Lord's authority, like, hey, listen up. What I'm about to say is super important. It's really important. That middle name stops us. He's trying to get the attention. He's trying to build unity between the Jew and the Gentile. And he spoke to the Jews and talking about that wall, being breaking down that wall and how God has accepted the Gentiles right where they're at. But he's also warning the Gentiles that, hey, just because God has saved you, just because God has accepted you does not mean that you continue to live the way that you've lived. Now, he's not saying go get circumcised. He's not saying, hey, you've got to go do all of the ritual law practices that the Jews have done. Doesn't expect the Gentile to really understand Passover. They can learn about it, but they're, they're probably not going to celebrate it. Not in that way. It's not a requirement. So all of these pieces are there. So let's look what Paul's trying to tell him. He's got their attention, like, with the Lord's authority. Larry Allen, listen to this. It's important. Get this. And the first thing we're going to break down is, is our old nature. Paul addresses our old nature, our nature before we come to Christ, that sinful nature. And verse 17 tells us that they're hopelessly confused, that the Gentiles before Christ were hopelessly confused. You know what I've thought of, and I talk to a lot of people, um, and there are a lot of young men and women in their, really from their late teenage years into their 20s and maybe early 30s that are really confused right now. They're really confused about God. They're confused about politics. They're confused about life. There seems to be so much turmoil. They don't really know which way to point and go. Uh, they get so many different messages. They're bombarded by, whether it's social media or whatever, is bombarding with all these different messages and all these different strong opinions. 
and they're confused. They just want to know what truth is. They just want to know who God is. They're not opposed to God, but they haven't seen God in the, the people that go to church because we haven't reflected Him well, and they haven't seen anything that they can put their hope in in the politicians because it seems like there's always lying or deceiving or fighting. So they're just confused. They're struggling to figure out what to happen. And then we go through something like uh, what's happened over the last couple of years with COVID and the pandemic and, and all that stuff just sent it into more and more turmoil. So much confusion. And that's what I thought of when I read this. They were, they're hopelessly confused. They don't understand who God is or His love for them and, and, and what really is important and what matters. They just know that they don't want to just go in and sing and hear somebody speak to them for an hour. They, they, they want something real. They want something genuine. Those things are good things in our worship and it, and it helps us, but they don't understand. They want relationship. See, here's the deal. When we come to Christ, we're not just saved from hell. Although people come that way, they, 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 we used to preach, you know, hell all the time. And, and I, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about hell. It is a real place. But we used to try and tell people, come to Christ, because if you don't, you're going to burn in hell. And it was all about just avoiding something and not about the relationship that God wants to have for us. When we come to Jesus, when we surrender our life to Him, it's about having a relationship with the Creator. It's about knowing that we're His sons and daughters. It's about knowing that God cares about us intimately, not just about our obedience, although that's a part of it, not just about us being doing all the right things, although that's that He wants us to do the right things. We should want to do the right things in honor of Him, but because He wants to have a relationship with us. All of history has been about, since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for sin, and sin separates us from God, it's all been about what Jesus came to do was to bridge that gap and bring man back into relationship with Him. Back into walking with Him. And so when we surrender our life to Him, He marks us by the Holy Spirit. He puts a stamp on us and says, They are my children. They are mine. I care for them. I love them. I want what's best for them. I want them to know me. So when we give our life to Him, it changes us. And it begins to change us from the inside out. The problem is, is when we... We give our life to avoid something or we, we surrender to God to avoid something or because we think it's what everybody is doing or it's, we think it's because that's what the person up there speaking wants us to do, whatever that is. But we don't let it change us from the inside out. If we're not striving to become more like Him, we get lost in that nature. And here's what it looks like when we live by that old nature. That's what Paul was talking about. Don't live with this old nature. Don't live the way you used to live. You were Gentiles confused and hopeless. Don't live that way any longer because you know Jesus. You have God's Spirit in you. You have a new life. Here's the thing. Here's what it looks like, and here's what Paul's telling us to get rid of. The first thing is a hard heart or a closed mind. A hard heart or a closed mind. 
the best way I can put this is it, it's like a callus. If you've ever, you ever get calluses on your hand, maybe you, I, I ride mountain bikes and motorcycles and so I build calluses on my hands and so they become hard so they don't blister and, and, and they cut kind of rough. Some people have the, their feet, your feet is kind of like, the bottom of your feet is kind of like a large callus and if you, if you don't wear shoes a lot, that skin builds up, it becomes hard. You can take a needle to it unless you push really deep, it's not going to hurt because it's, it's a buildup of dead skin and I know that sounds gross, it's a buildup of dead skin, it becomes a callus becomes hard, it protects us. It's really cool how the body works. These things that build up like that protect us, that hardness. But when we're talking about our heart, things that are hard, like a hard heart, means that the love of God, the Word of God is not penetrating in because it's become callous. It's not affecting it. They don't care. Just like some of you maybe listening today, and I hope none of you, but but a lot of people come to church and their heart has become hard. They go to church because maybe their family's going or because a spouse wants them to or parents making them go to church, but their heart is hard and they hear the Word of God, they hear the love of God, but their heart has become closed and callous to what God's speaking to them. And Paul used the term closed mind. And you hear people from the world saying that Christians are so closed-minded and it's not that we're closed-minded. We just follow the Word of God, and there are some things that we won't accept as being healthy from God. It doesn't mean we're closed-minded. It doesn't mean we hate people. It's just that there's some things that are sin that we don't want to participate in. Because God asks us not to. But on the flip side of that is people that are confused and lost in the darkness, their heart becomes hard and they become closed. Their mind becomes closed to the Word of God. Their mind becomes closed to the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they become calloused. If you look at verse 18, it says, Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. So pretty much they're like, okay, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And a lot of times that leads to hopelessness. A lot of times that leads to decisions in their life that actually could lead to the end of their life. Because they've pushed away what God's wanting to do and they're living for their own lustful pleasures. They're living for their own gain and their own and they, and they just they don't care about anybody else. Paul is warning them, don't live that way anymore. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have this new life. Don't live calloused. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. They did not allow the Holy Spirit to grow. And maybe, and, and, and here's the thing, and he's talking to believers here. When we as believers... Accept God, but don't let Him change it. Don't let Him change us from the inside out. We allow callousness in our heart. We don't allow God to change us. We just say, okay, God, that's cool. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God, but I'm going to live the way I want to live. That's like spitting in God's face. It's like, okay, God, you're going to give me the ticket into heaven, but I want nothing else to do with you. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just, you know, maybe I'll go serve sometimes as long as it's not an inconvenience. But God, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'll see you in heaven someday. Thanks. That's like spitting in God's face. 
Paul is saying, look, you are redeemed by him. Don't live that way any longer. Because really at the core of sin is selfishness. It's putting my needs and wants or my, what I want in front of what God has asked us to do. Like, God, I'm cool with you about the whole spiritual side, heaven, all that stuff. But don't ask me to not live this way. It's a difficult thing. Second thing is there's they had no sense of shame. If you look at verse 19, it says, and it literally says they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now I thought about this for a little while. Shame. We we shame has become one of those words that in the mental health community and, and maybe those that have felt like they've been hurt. We, maybe you've heard the term shaming people, just speaking down to them, making them feel shame for the way that they look, act, or live. And when it comes to us speaking in a way that puts people down, yeah, we need to not shame people into doing something. But we need to have a sense of shame. And I went to dictionary.com and I'm like, okay, what is shame is, from a definition standpoint? It's this. The painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, etc., done by oneself or another. That feeling of, man, what I just did, I feel kind of icky, I feel bad. There's shame there. So I'm going to tie this in. I'm going to use something that's, that's, that's pretty pretty practical in this and I, there's a couple different ways I can go but take a spouse a married couple and the spouse begins to have a conversation with somebody other than their spouse somebody of the opposite sex that they begin to connect with emotionally and and begin almost having an emotional affair that conscious of the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives there'll be a sense of shame to that like, oh, what I'm doing isn't quite right. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But see, when we become calloused and hard in heart, we think, well, you know what? That doesn't affect anybody else. But I'm getting what I need here. Well, my spouse isn't giving me this. So I'm going to get it from here. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, you might not be married. You might not relate to that. But maybe it's like, Oh, you know what? At work, you still fill office supplies. Take them home. You know what? Hey, they don't pay me enough. I need some, some pens at home or I need this. You can, you can figure it out. And when you do those things, the Holy Spirit will convict you and, and you'll have a sense of shame that goes along with that. But when we live as the Gentiles, there was no sense of shame. There is no right and wrong. That's where... When the world tries to tell us that there's no absolute truth, that you just find your truth, that's the biggest lie in the world. Because if we all define truth by what we want or what we think, without a standard, then it's chaos. Because they're, they're, we're not on the same page and, and we can't communicate with each other and we can hurt somebody because, because there's no definition. Really, biblical truth and biblical morality has been the fabric of society for a long time 
that sets those standards of right and wrong. And, and, and there have been countries and in places that have never known God, but yet still had that standard because it was right. They knew it was right and wrong. God had instilled it in their hearts, even if they didn't know Him. But when we get so callous to the things of God, we become, we lose that sense of shame. We lose that sense of, of caring for other people or how it makes us look or, or what effect that has on anyone else. And so we lose that, and it, and it takes us away from Him, and, and we openly sin, and we don't care who sees it. I mean, look at social media. Look at Instagram. Look at other places, even TikTok, other places where people will do things that, that really degrades themselves, but there's no sense of shame. No sense of caring for themselves or for others. And it breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God. And, but that's what he's talking about. That's what the Gentiles lived like. Just lived for their own pleasure, for their own wants, their own desires, not caring how it affected anyone else. And they bought the lie that, that the enemy has told them that, well, what you do doesn't affect anybody else. That's Everything that we do affects somebody affects us, affects our relationship with God, it affects the people around us. None of us are immune from that. So, when we openly sin as believers, and again, Paul was talking to believers, when we lose that sense of shame, we're taking for granted the grace that God's given us. We're not representing, we're not reflecting the light, we're reflecting darkness. We're reflecting sinfulness. Look, Paul addresses this in Romans, in Romans 6, 1 through 4. Let's look at that for a second. It says, Well then, should I keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we are joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we live new lives. People would honestly say, you know what? My sin just shows God's grace. The bigger the sinner, the more God's grace. That shows just how awesome God is. But that mode of thinking spits in Jesus' face. It really does. Because Jesus went through all this pain and agony. His body was crushed. He was pierced. He hung on a cross. He died. He bled for us. And He asks us to live and follow Him. And we continue to do things that bring Him pain and agony. And it's like just nailing the, taking the hammer and nailing the nails in Him ourselves every time. When we live that way, should we keep on sinning? No, of course not. Our goal is to become more like Christ. That means to get the sin out of our lives. Now, His grace is big, and it covers that sin. And yes, we do sin. He knows that we're not perfect. But we're talking about intentionally just, okay, God, I'm saved, but I'm going to live this way. Hebrews uses much stronger language. 
And this is a tough one. I'm going to be really honest with you. This is, this is tough. Hebrews 10, 26 through 29 says this. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two to three witnesses. Just think of how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which was made which made us holy as if we were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. That's difficult. That's difficult. And I know for some of you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your theology. I know that that right there messes with some theology. I've went back through commentaries. I've looked at this. I have shared with you my view on eternal security, which is, is kind of a big deal. If you've grown up in certain traditions of faith, eternal security is, is it's like where you hang your hat. Because Scripture tells us that nothing can take our salvation away. And I agree with that 100%. However, I do believe that we can walk away from that salvation. And look at this again. Look at this. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no sacrifice to cover these sins. That's saying after we've accepted what God has and we yet continue to just spit in the face of God. If you go back down there, in verse 29 it says, Those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood covenant, which is made holy, as if it were common and unholy. Those are big words. And I know I mentioned hell earlier, but it says, look, there's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. Wow. Those are tough words. That's scripture. I'm not making that stuff up. What are you going to do with that? Because to me that says that, that, look, God's given me freedom. He's given me joy. He's given me peace. And we have that in Him. Man, He's given us abundance of life. But if we throw that aside and say, I'm going to live the way that I want to live. You know what? I'm in the middle of this affair. It brings me a lot of joy. And, and, you know, my spouse isn't giving me what I want, so I'm going to continue my affair. But Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. That spits in the face of God. That's what he's talking about here. That's where he's talking about, hey, if you say that you're a follower of me, if you've put your trust in me, but yet you continue to deliberately do the things that I've asked you not to do, I can't protect you from the judgment. That's tough. Those are strong words and it can be confusing and we can have conversations about it because I'm going to tell you, God's grace is big. I know we all sin. This is where the tension is. I'm not God. I can't determine how He's going to judge in certain things because yes, we do all have sin. We struggle. Some of us really battle with addiction. Some of us really battle with things 
that we know we shouldn't, but because of circumstances and because of of difficulties in our lives, we keep stumbling back into those places. And I don't think that that's the issue. I really think that when we come down to this, that when our heart is pointed towards God, again, I, I like to talk about bullseyes, if Jesus is in the center, Jesus cares more about the direction of our heart. Are we moving towards Him? Or are we trying to see how close to the edge that we can get and still do all the things we want to do and still be saved? Just do enough to get into heaven, but not to disrupt what I really love to do. Like those pleasures that I really want. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And this is where Paul brings us to the next thing. Paul is urging us to no longer live according to our sinful nature, but to daily grow more and more like Christ. So the second point today is to throw off your old nature. Throw off those things that slow you down. Look at verses 20 through 22 again. It says, But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Salvation is a free gift, but that's the beginning. The rest requires action by us to allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to say, you know what? That's not what I should be doing. That brings shame to me. It brings shame to God when I'm and I'm using the fair because I think it's easy for us to understand, but I'm having this relationship with somebody that I shouldn't be having a relationship. It's not my spouse. Maybe you're not married, but you're in this, this intimate relationship with somebody that you're not married to. That, that goes against the Word of God. You're, you're living in shame. And it's like, okay, God, I need to fix this. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've found couples that have got saved, became Christians, started following God, started reading the Word, I didn't have to tell them to get married. The Holy Spirit convicted them and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know what? What we're doing isn't right. We need to get married. We need to, to be right before God. That's what we're talking about here. Throwing off the old things and making them right before Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Throw off that old life. Don't keep going back to it like a dog returning to his vomit. Scripture says that too. But have that new life. That allow God to change us. Every day we become a little bit more like Him. Every day we're growing to be more like Him. Our trajectory is toward Jesus, not towards our sinful nature. And we shouldn't be plateauing just staying in one area. I mean, we can plateau for a little while. Everybody does. But then we need to move forward a little bit deeper. From the moment we come to new life in Jesus, we get a new way of thinking. We start to process. This isn't immediate. It takes time. I believe, so sanctification is a big word that we like to use in Christian circles. And to be sanctified is to be made completely right before God. I, no more sin. We're completely sin-free. I believe that when we come to Christ, our sins are covered. They're no longer before Him, but we spend the rest of our life until we enter into eternity rooting out and getting rid of the sinful nature in our lives and we become more and more like Him. We become more and more sanctified 
and like Him every day. It's an ongoing process that we go through. So we become more and more like Him. We become a new way of thinking. Think about this. Maybe some of you have been a Christian. You were Maybe you've only been Christian for a little while, but maybe you haven't been around the people you used to hang around with for a little while, and you come in, and they say, well, you're different. You don't think the way you did anymore because God's renewing your mind. He's giving you a new way of thinking. He's giving you new joy in your life. So that leads us to the last point for today. Put on your new nature. That's what Paul is urging us to do. Take off that old nature and allow the Holy Spirit to put on that new nature in your life. And here's how you do this in verses 23 and 24. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We were created to be like Him, not to be God, don't confuse that, but to be like Him. We can be like Christ. We can become like Christ. He was completely sin-free. We're moving in that direction. New thoughts, new attitudes, new way of seeing things. In a way, Paul makes this sound simply like it's just putting on new clothes, but when you focus on verse 23, the Spirit's the one that renews our thoughts and our attitudes. The key is that without the Spirit of God, we're unable to do this. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit. I love how Romans 12, 2 puts it, and this is one of my favorite passages. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He begins to renew our minds, changing the way we think. Literally rewiring the way our mind works to be in line with the Holy Spirit, to be in line with the things of God. We no longer find those things that used to be what we strove for, our own pleasure, our own desires, to be even something that we want. We want to love God with every bit of our being. We, want to, we start to learn to love others, and we find joy and peace by helping and serving and loving others. And God, it fills us with, with lasting joy. See, when we chase after the things of darkness, lustful pleasures and all those things, they're temporary. There's shame attached to it. Even though we become callous to the shame, it hits us. We become depressed. We realize that the things that we're doing really don't last. Sin feels good for a moment, maybe a season, but ultimately the consequences always catch up to us. And there's pain and sorrow attached to those things. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through His Word, we begin to be changed. It starts with our minds and the renewing of our minds. It's kind of like a hard drive for a computer or your phone. Um, I used to say tapes, but a lot of people don't even know what tapes are anymore. But like a hard drive, going in and reformatting a hard drive and wiping out all of that old dark information and giving a new and rewriting it with new things. Getting rid of those files that are corrupted and replacing them with files that are correct, that are new, that are following after Him. Here are a few things to, that are key to changing the way we think. And this is, we're going to land this plane very quickly. One, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Part of the job 
of the Holy Spirit is to help us to understand the Word of God, to give us guidance. And it goes all the way back. Jesus said this in John 14, 26. He said, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. It's Jesus speaking. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us. He's going to remind us. He's going to convict us. He's going to help us to live in that way. He's going to be the one that's renewing our mind, helping us to understand the next thing, the Word of God. We've got to have the Word of God. The Word of God shows us how to live. Jesus said the law was given to show us our sin. Well, in the Old Testament, you have that law. And in the New Testament, you find out who Jesus is and how to live as believers. Through the Holy Spirit, changing the way we think, giving us understanding of the Word of God, it transforms us. Transforms us. That's why when you read it in context, when you understand it in context, not just pulling verses out. You can pull verses out and say anything you want. But reading them in context, getting to understand them, is why we preach through the books of the Bible. Look at James 1.22. This is important for believers. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. Basically, don't just go and listen to a message or read your Bible. If you do those things, those are great. But unless you apply them and do what they say, you're just a consumer. You're not actually allowing the Holy Spirit to do His job and to change you from the inside out, change you by what you hear. And the last thing is this. The church, we need each other. You heard me say God didn't call us to start churches. He called us to make disciples. But the church is the natural expression of that. It's what God created for us to lift each other up, for us to be able to help one another, to love one another, to care for one another. If you read Acts, Every time the Spirit was poured out and the church was born, it said that they were full of joy and fellowship. They sold things and cared for each other's needs. They met together, shared meals together. They did life together. That's what the church is. It's our support system. It's our family. Here's where Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is so important. And listen to this. It says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love, and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I think the church is more important than ever. I think the church is going to look different. And I'm not talking about coming in in the big worship services and things like that. That's going to church. And those things are fine. But the church is our relationship with God and each other. In harmony together. It's not about worship teams, Sunday school classes, all of that stuff. It's about being the body of Christ and doing life together. That's the church. Coming together, and the reason we come together, and that's why the local church is so important, is because we support each other locally. We care for one another locally. We work together to serve our communities, to love on our neighbors, to encourage one another. Here's like verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love. The church shouldn't be the place we get torn down, although some places it's become that way. Some places we've used scripture as condemnation to tell us how horrible we are. That's the Holy Spirit's job through the Word of God. 
we're to motivate each other to acts of love, to good works, to help each other. And if we see somebody struggling, help lift them up so they can get past those things. That's why we come together. So this is where the pandemic has really hurt us. Now, some of you I know can't come on a Sunday morning physically in person, and that's why this is so important. But engage, get involved in the chat, still have your community together, get on the online prayer times, find ways to engage in the community because we need each other. So I wanna pray with you today as Paul has urged us and encouraged us to put off our old nature and to put on our new nature. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life. Allow Him to change you from the inside out. And then and get involved and plugged into the community so that we can help each other, encourage each other, and do the things that God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for what You're doing. Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching this today that does not have that relationship with you, or maybe they've treated your relationship in an improper way. Lord, I pray that right now that you would break through, that they would put their trust in you, that they would throw off that old nature. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit fill us so that we can become more and more like you. Lord, that's our desire today, is to become more and more like you. I pray that you would fill each one of us. Give us your joy and peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you need more time in prayer, please click that prayer button. If you're confused about anything, click it and let us talk to you. And if we can't answer it right now, we can set up a time to get with you later so that we can discuss this. And Man, we love you. We want to see you grow in Christ. We want to see the Holy Spirit do great things in your life. Have a great week. Love on somebody this week. See you next time.